everyone. I am Armand Lee, and this is the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for listening in. I was off last week. You know, I was celebrating my daughter's seventh birthday, but now I'm back, ready to go. I'm fully recharged and energized, and there are a lot of topics to discuss. So I'm going to take my time. It's going to be a little bit a longer episode than usual. One of the topics we'll discuss this week, John Wall and his declaration that he is the best two-way point guard in the NBA. See if I agree or not. Also, envy and jealousy breeding contempt. It's something that happens in all facets of our life, especially when it comes to fans and the players that they follow. It's something that annoys me. We'll see if you agree with me or not. All that and so much more on this week's episode. But first, the number one topic this week. First quarter. Last week, I'm on the beach, right? Recharging, relaxing, enjoying my time with my little princess. And then, you know, we, we get up to the room, get ready to go to sleep. And the thing pops off across my, my iPad saying that Matthew Stafford had been signed to the largest contract in NFL history. And I had, I literally put the iPod down or iPad down and had to walk, just walk around the hotel room. Cause it, I don't know about you guys. Right. But I, I, I'm literally almost at a loss of words when it comes to, and this isn't just football, but organizations, franchises in all sports and how these people who we I think we all would assume are like reasonably intelligent people but they just think like what exactly is the plan and that's kind of my entire idea when it comes to this Matthew Stafford contract because I don't understand what the thought process is so then I went to sleep you know I was like man look I'm not a Lions fan it's all good with me But this thing kind of stuck with me. So then, you know, wake up in the next morning, listening to, you know, the the usual suspects. And there were so many people. And this was the funny thing, right? It seemed like from a fan's perspective, fans got it. They're like, what are you doing? You can't. I made this comparison, this analogy a few weeks ago. You know, don't spend Rolls Royce money on an Audi, on production from an Audi, right? There's a reason why a Rolls Royce costs more money than an Audi. It's because a Rolls Royce is a better car. It gives you a better production. I'm not going to pay the production of Aaron Rod- pay for Aaron Rodgers' production and get Matthew Stafford. It doesn't make any sense. And there are the, the quote-unquote experts were all coming up, you know, ESPN, FS1, whichever you listen to come through with the same, it was like the fans understood this more so than the quote-unquote experts, which is crazy. Look, the Detroit Lions are one of the worst franchises in North American sports. That is, you know, if you're from Detroit, I'm sorry, but you have to know that, right? The team, I don't, when was the last time Detroit actually won a playoff game? Think about it. The When you grade on a curve, You never get excellence. We know that whether it's in school, whether it's in your personal relationships, whatever you do, you start grading on the curve, you start letting things slide. So what you heard all this or all last week was, oh, well, what are the Lions going to do without Matthew Stafford? As if they had done anything with him. 
And then it was, oh, well, he's been to the playoffs two of the last three years. He's been to the playoffs three years, three times in his entire career. Hasn't won a playoff game. So let's stop acting like this guy is Joe Montana because he went to the playoffs. Brock Osweiler went to the playoffs last season. Brock Osweiler went to the divisional round of the playoffs last season. Going to the playoffs, like, that's that's not, you know, and here's another thing. The same people who will ridicule, right, and throw up, make all these crazy arguments about participation trophies are the same people who are like, well, Matthew Stafford went to the playoffs two of the last three years. Well, which one is it? You know what I'm saying? Hey, are, are we all about eliminating participation trophies? Because if that's the case, we're not celebrating going to the playoffs three times in like a 10-year span. Matthew Stafford isn't a young player. He's 29. He's about to be 30. So let's stop treating him like he's, you know, Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston. He's not. Alex Smith has been to the playoffs more than Matthew Stafford. You understand? Like, what are we talking about? And this was the funny thing. And, you know, I told you guys this before. My favorite television show is The Wire. And The Wire is great on so many levels. But one of the things I love about The Wire is they got these little, you know, quotes that just you can incorporate them into your everyday dialogue. And my sister and I, we do this regularly. And Omar, if you know about The Wire, you know about Omar. Even if you don't know about The Wire, I'm sure you know about Omar. He had a quote. It's like, every man's got a quote. You know what I'm saying? And that's real. Every person, not just man. And one of my, one of, one of my biggest codes, maybe the D quote, the code that I live by most, is consistency. You know what I mean? If you believe something, believe it all the way, right? If you stand by, if you have a code, if you stand by something, this is what governs you. Let it govern you completely. Now, that's not to say that, yes, there will be some exceptions. Things pop up from time to time, and you can always learn and adjust. But by and large, right, if you believe something, believe it consistently. Consistency is, to me, it's like the number one thing. If I know where you stand, right, if I know where you stand Monday through Friday, I know where you stand Saturday and Sunday. And I may not, I may not agree with it, right, but if you're principled in your belief, I can always know, you know, how at least you move, how you operate. There's no some, there's no trickery. You know what I'm saying? And I bring that up, and I'll give you an example. I, I, you know, if you listen to the show, I talk about, you know, NBA advanced analytics from time to time. And I told you, wins produced per 48 is my favorite one. Like, of all the advanced stats, all in ones, wins produced per 48 is my favorite stat. And I also have told you guys that I don't like PER. I say that to say, my favorite player is Tristops Porzingis, right? His wins produced per 48 is really bad. He's, he, thus far in his career, he has not produced wins at an at a average NBA player, let alone a star, which I hope him, which I hope he develops into becoming, right? But his PER, a stat that I don't appreciate, that I don't like, that I don't value, shows that he's above average. He's close to being a star. So if every single time I talk about wins produced per 48 and I dismiss PER, but when it comes to my favorite player, I was like, oh, you know what? Don't look at his wins produced per 48. Look at his PER. Then you know that that's fishy, right? You know that I'm on some 
I'm doing some funny stuff right there, right? There's my bias playing a part. I'm saying all of that. Don't think I got off track, but I want to kind of highlight my, my point by giving you that example. I say that to say the number one talking point that I got, and maybe you guys got this too, for the pro Matthew Stafford contract, right, was, hey, you can't attribute wins and losses to a quarterback. And if you're doing so, you're foolish, right? There were so many people because the fans, us, we would say, yo, Matthew Stafford hasn't won anything. He's only been to the playoffs three times and is in, in a 10-year span, essentially. And he's never won a playoff game. So the natural rebuttal was, well, you can't attribute, you know, wins and losses to a quarterback. And that's fine, right? I agree with that. But if you agree with that, don't tell me. Don't be the guy who every other day out the week is saying you can't win in the NFL without a quarterback. You understand? Like, that doesn't work. If you're saying, on one hand, you can't win in the NFL unless you have a quarterback. If you honestly believe that, if that's your governor, if that's how you interpret football, then you then can't say on the backside, well, if a quarterback doesn't win, well, well you can't assess, you can't just give wins and losses to just one quarterback. That doesn't work. You either believe it or you don't. Now, I've told you guys, I don't think the idea that you can't win without a quarterback is true. In fact, we've seen it recently. We've seen it recently that teams without great quarterbacks can be put in positions to win games. I'll give you a perfect example. History will look back at Peyton Manning and say, yo, Peyton Manning has two Super Bowl victories. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, which he is. But anybody who watched Super Bowl 50, right, the Broncos and the Panthers, they know that Peyton Manning did not, he wasn't the reason why the Broncos beat the Panthers. In fact, Carolina's best chance at winning the game was if Peyton Manning took step, like actually dropped back to pass because he was turning the ball. He, he just wasn't a good quarterback, not just for that game, but for that season. Brock Osweiler became a thing because Peyton Manning wasn't playing well. Like, let's not forget that. That was what, two years ago? I'm a C I like Russell Wilson. He's a sucker. He's lame, but he's from Richmond, so I got to ride with him. Russell Wilson is a good quarterback, and I think he's one of the better quarterbacks now. But that Seahawks team that won the Super Bowl, it wasn't like Russell Wilson was an elite player at that point. He wasn't. He was good, but he wasn't great. Joe Flacco. Hell, Ben Roethlisberger, his first time winning the Super Bowl. Again, we'll look back at it thinking, hey, Ben Roethlisberger is a two-time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP. He's one of the best quarterbacks of his generation, you know? But that first Super Bowl that Pittsburgh won when they beat Seattle, Roethlisberger was awful. So we have seen in very recent to, you know, slightly distant recent, and then we all know about the Trent Dilfers and all that stuff and the Brad Johnsons. You don't need a great quarterback to win. In fact, in fact, we have seen it more likely that if you build your team, if you build the entire team, defense, special teams, offensive line, that if you just got a capable quarterback, you can win. We've seen that more frequently than the Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterback in the league, winning a Super Bowl. I mean, Tom Brady, think about it like this. Tom Brady, 
maybe the best quarter, not even quarterback, best player of all time. And this is one of the reasons why the Patriots are so amazing. Yes, Tom Brady is great. Yes, Bill Belichick is a great head coach. But they get Tom Brady on a discount. Tom Brady is never among the top three or five highest paid quarterbacks. Even though he's better than everyone. Now, his situation is different. He's married to a supermodel. But that's the glitch in the matrix. The Patriots have found the cheat code. Tom Brady is the cheat code. You get top play, top production at like one one hundredth of the price. Whereas the line, and that's why the Patriots win all the time. Whereas the Lions, they lose all the time. And what do they do? The same thing they did back in the nineties with Scott Mitchell. You pay a hell of a lot of money for somebody that you know. You, you know what Matthew Stafford is. I got a buddy of mine, man. He listens to the show. Shout out to Brad Bodie. That's my guy. He's a Packers fan born in Wisconsin. You think any Packers fan listening or when they saw Matthew Stafford, do you think anybody, any Packers fan was like, man, I hope Matthew Stafford leaves Detroit. Whew. It's going to be, it's going to be rough to, it's going to be tough now that Matthew Stafford's back. You think any Packers fan is worried about Matthew Stafford? Again, consistency, Right. If you think that you need a quarterback to win, then you can't tell me that if a quarterback doesn't win, you can't blame it on him, right? You got to be consistent. Keep it straight. And here's another funny thing. The same people, and this is, this is one, again, one of the main reasons why I started the podcast is because I just got sick and tired of hearing the same people say the same things, even though they're always wrong. The same people the exact same people who are telling you right that the lions had to resign Matthew Stafford are the same people six, seven years ago who were like, man, the bears had to trade so much for Jay Cutler. Remember that? Remember all the people who, who swear that they're experts like, Hey, the bears, they needed a quarterback. Despite the fact that Rex Grossman took them to the super bowl, the Bears, they need a quarterback. So they got Jay Cutler, despite the fact that Jay Cutler hadn't won anything in Denver, right? They get Jay Cutler, and they have success instantly because it's the same team from the Rex Grossman years, right? The same um, tough defense, that Bears defense, that great running game, and special teams. So Jay Cutler comes in, and everybody's thinking, okay, and he goes to the NFC Championship game within, like, the first two years. And then what happens? Nothing. So they, they let Lovey Smith go. They don't win. And then for whatever reason, the same people who thought it's smart that the Lions gave Matt Stafford all that money, the same people who thought it was smart that the Bears traded so many picks for Jay Cutler were the same people just a handful of years ago who was like, well, you traded for Jay Cutler, you might as well pay him. Remember the, the big contract that Jay Cutler resigned, And smart people, the fans... In this instance, we're like, no, you can't give Jay Cutler that much money. But everybody, the same old, same folks. Oh, well, what else are you going to do? You got to keep him. You can't win without a quarterback. So they re-signed Jay Cutler, even though it was a known commodity. We all knew what Jay Cutler was at that point. And what happened? The Bears continued to lose. And now Jay Cutler retired. Then he came back out of retirement to be in the Dolphins. And we know what's going to happen in Miami. Just like we know what's going to happen in Detroit. It's insane. Like, let's 
the, the, the blueprint has been set. We saw it with Baltimore, right? The Ravens had a good team. They had a good defense, good special teams, very good running game. Joe Flacco comes in. And look, this is the, we saw it, it like almost pitch perfect. The blueprint has been laid out. Baltimore did not want to pay Joe Flacco the money. We know that. They understood what Joe Flacco was. They were like, look, man, you are a good player. You are not worthy to be like the guy. You can't carry our team. But the thing is, Joe Flacco had to prove it. For Joe Flacco to get the money that he has now, he had to beat Andrew Luck. He had to go to Denver and beat Peyton Manning. He had to go to Foxborough and beat Tom Brady. <laughs> Think about that. Luck, Manning, Brady, and then win the Super Bowl. The Ravens didn't want to pay Joe Flacco, but then when he wins the Super Bowl and wins Super Bowl MVP, what are you going to do? Like, you're literally, your back is literally up against the wall. But at least Joe Flacco proved it. What has Matthew Stafford pro shown to anybody? What has he proved? We know what we're going to get from Matthew Stafford. We know it. Ten years, nine years in the league. We know it. And I made this point in one of the first episodes. And I, and I, I don't think people really understand the idea, for whatever reason, people have that in the NFL, every team has a chance to win is flawed. But the fact that people think that, the fact that they have manipulated us as a, as a football viewing public, that the NFL, for some reason, is this great utopia of competitive balance. It's insane. But it leads teams to do things that is clearly not smart. You overpay for a quarterback. Think about all the quarterbacks who were drafted in the first round or teams who trade picks to get a quarterback. Donnie Manziel is a first-round pick. E.J. Manuel is a first-round pick. Tim Tebow was a first-round pick. Like, the quarterback position, it's clear, it's hard to find the, the right guy. But we have evidence that it's not as hard if you wait a little, just find a capable, capable player, but build the team around him first. Don't believe me? Look at Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. Dak was playing behind the best offensive line. Remember, Jerry wanted to draft Donnie Manziel. They ended up drafting Zach Martin, solidifying the best offensive line in football. And then they got Dak later in, in, the, um, in the draft. Same thing happened with Oakland. You get Khalil Mack. You have the second best offensive line in football. And then later on in the draft, not a first-round pick, you get Derek Carr. And look at where you're at. We saw it with Seattle, right? Amazing defense. Marshawn Lynch. And then you get Russell Wilson, who outplay he's not, he's obviously better than a third round pick, but you were able to build your team and you were able to pay Russell Wilson basically peanuts for those first three years. You understand? Like that's the that's the way to go. If you are if there's only one Aaron Rodgers, there's only one Tom Brady. Drew Brees is probably the third best quarterback in the league, but he can't even get to the playoffs because he has no talent around him. You understand the idea that you're just one quarterback away actually hurts teams in the long run. Because again, I said it before the NBA, we know the NBA has zero parity. 
Since 2000, there have been seven teams who win an NBA championship. Everybody says the NFL has all this competitive balance and that parity rules in the NFL. But since 2000, that same span, there's been 11 Super Bowl winners. It's a 14 difference between the NBA and the NFL. Go back to the 90s, since 1990. There have been 10 NBA champions. That same time span in the NFL, there have been 14. Again, a 14 difference, and that's despite the NFL having two more teams. And you think that's one thing? Look at the teams who make it to the Super Bowl, right? It's the same other than what? The Saints since, the, since 1990. The Saints, the Buccaneers, the Eagles, right? I think that's it. No, the, the, the Titans. So there are four teams in 27 years to just make the Super Bowl one time. It's the same teams going to the Super Bowl over and over again. It's the Steelers. It's the Packers. It's the Patriots, the Panthers, the Seahawks, the Ravens, the Giants. Over and over again, it's the same teams. Just like in the NBA, since 1990, there haven't been that many different, like, it's the same teams, with the exception of the Suns, the Pacers, the 76ers, right? <laughs> the... The similarities are crazy yet, but we, we keep on being fed this false narrative, right? That the NFL is filled with competitive balance, that the league is filled with parity. When it's not, it's the same teams who win or are competing for a championship. Just like the Lions and the Bills and the Browns and the Jaguars are always at the bottom. They have no shot. The Rams, it's the same teams. It's the same teams. And the reason why, because the Patriots keep on doing things smart and the Lions keep on signing Matthew Stafford or Scott Mitchell to crazy contracts. All right, guys, I, that was a long one. I mean, I was, I was all for a week, so I had, a, I had that festering inside of me for over seven days. So thank you for letting me rock on that, that topic. Remember, you can let me know what you think on what I have to say or on topics that you want me to address. All you got to do is email me at quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, -E -E, report at gmail.com, or you can tweet at me at quarterly. Again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, -E -E, show, that's on Twitter. Tweet at me at quarterly show, and let me know what you think and what you want me to address. All right, so I got all that stuff off my chest. That was a super long first quarter. We're going to get things onto a basketball side of things now with our second topic this week. Second quarter. I am a John Wall fan. He is one of my five favorite players in the entire NBA. And in the last three years, I have seen more John Wall games, more Washington Wizards basketball games than I've seen Knicks games, and the Knicks are my favorite team. Then Cavaliers games and Cleveland's on television every week and going to state games. And they're on television every week as well. John Wall, I've seen more John Wall basketball games than any other player in this league. And he's one of my favorite players. So I want to make sure I set that foundation before I continue. Because this weekend, and you guys probably saw it, John Wall, you know, he's working out with LeBron and all these guys, and he's feeling himself. 
And he comes on the record saying that he's the best two-way point guard in the NBA. Now, if you're not a super big NBA fan, two-way means that he goes, you know, offense and defense. He does everything, right? So on both sides of the floor, he is the best point guard in the league, all things considered. And I like John Wall. But I saw that, and I was like, man, angry man. Holla at John Wall. Man, sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. And again, makes no mistake, I am a fan of John Wall. That's number one. Number two, if he believes that, that's dope, right? I got no problem with guys saying that they're the best. You know what I'm saying? But if you believe you're the best, why throw the caveat? Two-way. You know what I'm saying? So that makes me think that there may be a little bit of doubt. He's not ready to say that he's the best point guard in the league. He he had to throw that one caveat that he's the best point guard, the best two-way point guard. But whatever. If that's how he feels, go ahead. Flex. I've got no problem with him. But I also don't have a problem with telling him that he's wrong. He's not the best two-way point guard in the league. And I'll explain why. Confirmation bias is, 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 is a mother. You know what I'm saying? Confirmation bias is essentially you have a belief on whatever particular topic. And anytime you get any piece of evidence, no matter how credible or no matter how many times you've gotten evidence contrary to your belief, anytime you get any piece of evidence that supports your belief, you run with it, right? It supports your belief. You've got a certain amount of bias already. You get that piece of evidence or whatever it is that you want to run with, and that just solidifies your stance. You're not necessarily open to hearing any of anything else, right? You get some evidence that cements your already your beliefs that you already have. That basically is confirmation bias, and that is going on with John Wall and the defenders of John Wall's comment. And what I mean by that is John Wall led the league in steals this year. And no matter how you cut it, and we've, we've seen him pass, like guys like Gilbert Arenas and other players who weren't really good defensively, they've led the league in steals. But and whether that's by, you know, shooting passing lanes or gambling, whatever the case may be, anytime you get a steal, that is a, that's something that happens on defense. That's a good thing that happens on defense. No matter how you want to cut it, Getting steals is good. And John Wall led the league in steals. And he should be commended for that. However, if you watch John Wall play defense, you realize that he got a lion's share of his steals. By And give credit to him because for the first half of the year, it was working. It was genius. He would let guys beat him off the dribble. And then because John has such long arms and is so fast, he would kind of tap the ball from behind and then gather it and then start a fast break. And he would do that all the time. And he had great success early in the year at doing that. So, again, you get the steal. That's good defense. You did something that's good on defense. However, that's gambling, right? <clears throat> so, and like real life, if you have money and you gamble, if you are winning, so, like, you take your paycheck. You're like, honey, going to go to the casino. You know, we're going to bet the whole check. 
And if we win, you know, we're going to have all this money and we're going to be able to pay these bills and go on this vacation and live lavish, right? And if you hit, good for you, right? You gambled and it worked off, but it is a gamble. So the risk is you may gamble and you may lose. So just like in the, the analogy I'm giving you with the, the check, if you're gambling and it's working, then yeah, you're, you've got a decent income, right? You're able to afford these things. But if you gamble and you don't hit, you can't then say, yeah, man, you know, my income is still good. No, you were gambling it, right? And that's what John Wall, his defense was good when his gamble paid off, but his defense was a gamble. Like the things you see from John that makes you think that he's a great defense is the, the steals and the blocks, the chase down blocks and the steals that we just talked about. But what happens when he, the team start to pick up on what he's doing? He's letting guys beat him off the dribble. And you saw this in the second half of the year. The guy beats John off the dribble, and they instantly switch hands with the basketball. John Wall will either reach around and foul, and a foul is never good defense, or the guy would switch hands and then force Gortat to make a, a, an immediate decision. And if you know anything about Marcia Gortat, lateral quickness is not his thing. Oftentimes, that would lead to a dunk because Gortat would be forced to stop the basketball after John allowed a guy to beat him, or the guy would make a bounce pass to Gortat's guy and then would end up in a dunk, a lay-in, or an and-one situation. That happened all the time. And again, I'm saying this as someone who watched John Wall, and you can ask any wizard at the second half of the year if that happened at a higher occurrence, and they will tell you that. So again, you got to give credit for John for leading the league in steals. But you also have to say his defense was a gamble on many occasions, and that is nothing to lay a foundation on. So defensively, <clears throat> John Wall, from a statistical standpoint, wasn't really that good last year. And that's me being generous. Now, that's how I felt on Saturday when I first saw these, these quotes from John. But then, you know, shout out to my guy, Kari, Kari Arnold and Brian Jackson. Y'all know B. Jacks. They tweet at me, and they, they present some – some, I guess, synergy statistics. And synergy, for those of you who don't know, they're an organization who they view every single play for basketball and they jot down and they calculate all these stats. And John Wall's defense was a lot better <clears throat> than I initially thought. But it wasn't great. That's the point. And no matter what statistics that you may use, there are also other statistics, credible statistics, that would suggest that John Wall wasn't as good as some stats indicate. But he may not be as bad as others indicate as well. So when you have that type of level of variance, it's probably decent to be like, you know what? Maybe he was average. I think that's fair, right? I think that's fair to say John Wall was an average defensive player. And obviously he was an amazing offensive player. But when you say you're the best two-way, that's not saying that, you know, I grade out average or, you know, a little over average because a lot of guys do. And when John said that, Initially, initially, I thought of two guys, Mike Conley and Chris Paul. Let's start with Mike Conley. Every Wizards fan I know, even the biggest John Wall supporter, when I say who's better defensively, Mike Conley or John Wall, I, I'm being dead ass serious. I've never heard one person say that John Wall is better than Mike Conley defensively. I haven't heard it. If you feel that way, hit me up again. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at me at 
Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show on Twitter. But I haven't heard of anyone who would say that John Wall is better defensively than Mike Conley. But the people, when I bring up Mike Conley, they say, okay, well, yeah, Conley's better defensively. But John Wall, the difference between John Wall on offense, the difference between John Wall and Mike Conley on offense is greater than the difference between Conley and John defensively. Therefore, right, John Wall's claim as the best two-way point guard in the league still stands because you're kind of doing this, this weighing of both sides of the basketball. And that's cool. If that's what you want to do, that's cool. But, again, like we said in the first quarter, consistency. If that's how you want to play it, you got to play it that way all the time. And I bring that up because if you feel that John Wall is a better two-way player because over Mike Conley, because the difference between John and Conley offensively is greater than the difference between John and Mike defensively, then the natural next move is Steph Curry, right? That's the natural move. Because if you're using that theory for why John is greater than Mike, I'm going to come at you with Steph. And here's where confirmation bias comes into play. We look at John, and John is this super athletic guy. He's got long arms, jumps out the gyms fast, maybe the fastest guy in the league. He's super tenacious. He, you know what I mean? He, he looks like he would be a better defender than Steph Curry. And I will agree, John Wall is a better one-on-one individual defensive player than Steph Curry. Also, you know, confirmation bias comes into play with Steph. You see Steph, he's a finesse player. He's, he's light-skinned. He's smiling all the time. He's little. You know what I mean? He's not as physically, you know, he's not a physical specimen the way John is, right? And he shoots threes, and he's happy, and he's the family man. And he goes golfing, and he was grew up wealthy, Right? So you don't you don't you don't link that with great defense most times. So your prior beliefs of Steph, you have a buy. We have a pre a we are preconditioned to believe something about Steph Curry. Now, again, I think John is a better individual defensive player than Steph. But there are many statistics out there that would tell you that Steph Curry is a better defensive player than John. Now, to be fair to John. Steph Curry plays with guys like Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, Kevin Durant, four of the better defensive players in this league. John Wall doesn't play with anybody like that, right? So, yes, if you're the head coach of Golden State, you will go about hiding Steph Curry on defense because you've got four of the best defensive players in the league on your team, right? And that's a fair criticism on some of the statistics that favors Steph Curry defensively because he's sharing time on the floor. Like the he plays the most minutes with Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, two of the best defensive players in his league. So of course, by just relation, right? Just by him being close to those guys and playing the same amount of minutes with them, his defensive defensive numbers are going to look better because he's playing with them and John doesn't. However, if John Wall was playing on the Golden State Warriors, John Wall would also be the fifth best defensive player on that team, you know, and he would benefit, right? So you can't, you can't knock John because Steph Curry's defensive numbers in many aspects are better. You know, it, uh, your teammates do play a part in that. However, it's not like John Wall going to Golden State would then markedly improve their defense. He would still be, 
you know, the fifth best defensive starter on that team. But John Wall does not have the benefit of playing with these great teammates, right? However, there are some statistics out there that will say that Steph and John are at least close. They're peers defensively. I happen to think John is better defensively than Steph, but there are some metrics out there, respected metrics, that will say that Steph is either on par or better. There isn't any metric that suggests that Steph is on par or that John is better than Steph offensively. It's clear. John and Steph are worlds apart from an offensive standpoint. And again, if you're consistent, and that's that's huge to me, if you're saying that John is a better two-way player than Mike Conley, right, because the difference between John and Mike offensively outweighs the difference between Conley and John defensively, well, then I'll throw Steph Curry at you. And the difference between Steph Curry and John Wall from an offensive standpoint is far, far greater than that between John and Steph defensively. Now, here's the thing when it comes to John. We've seen John, when he's engaged, play amazing, lights-out defense. But the fact that we have to qualify it, we've seen him, right? There are moments when, when he's engaged. He doesn't bring it every night, every time down the floor, and nobody really does. Nobody at that level. But the fact that we see it so many times, we see in a playoff series, Dennis Schroeder, who's probably not one of the best 10-point guards in the league, but played John Wall to a stalemate. That should never happen. Never. Ever happen. Do you ever, could you imagine Dennis Schroeder going toe-for-toe with Mike Conley in the playoff series? No. And here's another person that you couldn't imagine him doing to, Chris Paul. Chris Paul made first-team all-NBA defense this year. And Chris Paul, even with his injury history and his declining in productivity, he's still significantly better than John Wall offensively, right? We know this. Chris Paul is one of the best in terms of assist-to-turnover ratio. John Wall, I don't know if John Wall has ever had a 4-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. Chris Paul is close to averaging in that for his career. Like, shooting percentages, whether we're talking about field goal, three-point, effective field goal percentage, free throw line, like, there isn't anything from an offensive standpoint that would suggest that John Wall is better than Chris Paul. And defensively, you know what I mean? Like, Chris Paul consistently is among the league leaders in steals. Chris Paul is consistently first or second team defense. You know what I mean? Like, we see this from Chris Paul regularly. So the fact that John Wall feels that he's the best two-way player in the league I got no problem with that. I got no problem with him thinking that. Not at all. And if you are a Wizards fan and you want John Wall, John Wall can easily be the best two-way point guard in the league this upcoming season if he's fully engaged, if he stops gambling, if he's committed all the way. But has he shown that thus far? Has John Wall shown us? that he's the best two-way player in the league thus far? Come on, man. Even the biggest Wizards fan knows the answer to that. So I hope, John, I'm looking forward to this upcoming season to watch the Wizards to see how much better John is and how much, you know, 
tuned in he is on the defensive end because defensively is what hurt, hurt the Wizards. Defense is what hurt the Wizards. Defense is the reason why the Wizards didn't make it to the conference championship. I know John got tired in game seven, and that's why he wasn't making buckets. But that doesn't mean he can't stop guys from getting to the rack. So I hope John is engaged. I hope he shows the world that he is the best two-way point guard, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the entire league. Because, again, he's one of my favorite players. But to say that now, after last year, after what Chris Paul has shown, after what Mike Conley Jr. has shown regularly, John, my man Angry Man got something to say to you. Man, sit your ass down. Man, sit your ass down. All right, y'all. Y'all heard the horn. We are two quarters in. So that means we are up at halftime. But before we get to halftime, I want to make sure, again, you guys know, you can email me. I'm at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, that's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E. And you can eat and tweet the show. Excuse me. You can tweet the show at quarterly show. Again, that's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show. Let me know your thoughts, what you agree with me on, what you disagree with me on. Let's have a, some engagement. I'm all for it. And while you're at it, make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes. Again, all you got to do is go to iTunes, search the quarterly report. You'll see the icon with my face on the coin. Click it, subscribe, then rate and review. Rate the show and review it. Let your friends, let me, let the world know what you think of the show, good, bad, or otherwise. All right, guys, we're at halftime. And with the start of the NFL season, beginning in a matter of hours, it came to my realization that there are no bigger haters in the world than sports fans. We saw it this past weekend in college football, and we're going to see it every day for the next five months when it comes to pro sports, pro NFL teams as well. But no matter what your favorite sport is, no matter your league of choice, and no matter how good of a person who plays for maybe your arch rival, the hate that is in all of our hearts as sports fans always seems to show its ugly face. Take a listen. Somewhere in Indianapolis. We just passed the $20 million mark. Um, set out last Sunday with a goal of $200,000. Yeah, it's really Sunday dope what J.J. Watt is doing for Houston. How much I mean, I'm a Colts fan and, and all, but you got to really admire all he's doing for that community. Man, f*** J.J. Watt. What? Nah, I mean, for real. What he's doing is cool and all, but who he's supposed to be? Captain f***ing America or something? Slim, you a trip. You sound like a real dickhead. He's helping folks, bro. What's wrong with you? Man, whatever. They raised over 25 mil. That's dope. But how much was from JJ's pocket? Like only a quarter of a million. Yeah. Way more than what you spent. Slim. You in love with JJ Watt now or something? Man, I mean, look at his nose, bro. He broke that in his rookie year and still wearing that dumbass band-aid? You really mean you think that he can fix Houston? I mean, now you want to know who can and should be celebrated? My man Andrew Luck. He'd have stopped that damn hurricane all by himself on some Captain America sh real talk. You know what? You were right. Even with a bum shoulder, he'd been better than J.J. Watt. The f*** was I thinking? Let's, Let's go, Colts. Let's, Let's go, Colts. Let's go, Colts. Let's go, Colts.
Before I continue, let me make one thing perfectly clear. By no way am I trying to shade J.J. Watt. I do not want the J.J. Watt hive after me. You know what I'm saying? That is a joke. It was a joke. Don't get upset at me because of that skit. You feel me? I think most people can understand the point that I'm trying to convey. You know what I'm saying? Like, no matter how good a person, a player, an athlete truly is, or no matter how good they are doing for their community, fans, like being a fan, there's something in that that whether it shows in you specifically or not, we've all at least maybe felt it or know someone where it shows all the time, where you just can't get over the fact that they are a rival. You know what I'm saying? I grew up hating Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan isn't, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know if Michael Jordan during his playing days doing anything like what J.J. Watt has done for hurricane victims. Not to say that Jordan hadn't done it. It just, you know, we hadn't seen it on full display like J.J. Watt. But there are people, I know it. I know for a fact people who are like sick of J.J. Watt. Like, why are you mad at J.J. Watt? There are people who are mad at Rob Gronkowski. They don't like Rob, don't, don't like Gronk. How do you not like Gronk? There are people on this earth right now, and you've seen it on your timeline, who don't like Kawhi Leonard. What's not to like about Kawhi? For whatever reason, being a fan, and yeah, fan is short for fanatic. It just, it brings out, or at least it unlocks something within us. And, you know, the best people, it never shows. But for many of us, that's just unreasonable anger, passion, rage. It comes to life. And it's all because of fandom, man. And it leads me perfectly to our third topic this week, where we as fans sometimes get lost in the fact that these athletes, despite the money that they make, they're still human beings. So our third topic this week. Third quarter. I'm going to pull the curtain back just a bit this week. Uh, as you all know, each week I like to have a guest on. You know what I mean? Uh, to talk about some topics, sports or otherwise, in their area of expertise. And, you know, to answer some questions that I may have, that hopefully you all have as well. And in the best episodes, maybe there's even a little bit of, I wouldn't say a debate, but a little conflict on uh, where I and the guest stand and there's a disagreement and we both, you know, articulate our perspectives, our sides of whatever case and leave it up to you, the listener to decide, you know, where you stand and what you agree with. You know what I mean? Those hopefully are the best scenarios. Um, but this week, unfortunately there were technical difficulties. I had the interview lined up. It was with my former colleague, Daniel Martin. He's a social media producer at CSM Mid-Atlantic. We had the interview all lined up. It was, I thought it was recorded, but, you know, technology, man, y'all know it's, it's, it's one of my arts rivals, arts nemesis. It didn't record for some ungodly reason. And it's weird, though, right? Because in our conversation, the topic of Sue Cravens came up. Sue Cravens. For those of you not in the immediate D.C. area, because I'm not sure how big of a national story this is, but it's pretty big in the D.C. area. Sue Cravens is a second year safety who, as of now, still plays for the Washington football team, right? Plays for the Burgundy and Gold. And literally right after Washington um, releases their 53 man roster, right? Have 
they've made their final cuts for the season. Cravens, again, he's a second-year player. I believe he's 22. Uh, announces that he's thinking about retirement and he's not going to be playing. Now, that hasn't been fully figured out yet. I feel like from Cravens' standpoint, it seems like he's ready to call it quits. But Washington, they've, they're, the NFL, they've, there are a lot of different options for Washington. And right now he's on some unactive list, but they haven't completely filled retirement papers or whatever the case may be. So he technically is still employed by Washington, but he's not on their roster as of right now. And it was so strange hearing and seeing the feedback. I mean, it was nasty, right? Now, we don't know why he has decided to quit, right? Or retire, excuse me. But anytime a 22-year-old, you know, making really good money. I mean, again, think about it like this. You're fresh out of college making $800,000. He's 22 years old. He's been playing this game. It's, I think, beyond reasonable to expect that he's been playing this game at least half of his life, probably more. And now all of a sudden, he doesn't want to play anymore, right? It's a choice that he has made, him personally. He doesn't owe anybody anything. And it's fair to point out, and I'm not saying that his retirement is because of health. We don't know. But it is fair to point out that he has had, in only one year of playing, a couple of severe injuries, right? There was a, he had a concussion. And at the time, and it's not funny, I, I'm just, you know, it's almost like a reflex. It affected his vision. And you know what I mean? Like, he, there was like he had limited eyesight or something along those lines. Don't quote me. There was something wrong with his vision after receiving or suffering from a concussion. This is last year, a 22-year-old, you know what I mean? Still a kid. And he's made this decision, right, to leave football for whatever reason. And it doesn't even have to be health, but let's say it is. And again, we don't know. There were so many, quote-unquote, burgundy and gold fans just unleashing all this nasty and anger directed towards a 22-year-old. And it's like, it plays perfectly to the halftime that we just had, right? There's something about what we've done about being a fan for sports culture that we'll love a person, right? You get drafted by a guy, we love him. If he plays well for you, you love him. He gets you a fumble or a big-time three-point shot or a huge walk-off home run or a game-winning save. We love him, right? We we get tattoos of our favorite sports teams. Some people name their dogs or maybe even a child after them. We got we devote so much time and energy to these athletes in sports, fantasy sports, right? We gamble on these things, all of it, all of it, posters, fatheads, all these things that we do. We devote so much time and energy, often at the expense of things that truly matter, our family, our community, our health. Right. We devote all these all this energy, all this time to these players and teams. And the moment they're not doing anything to help us. Right. To satiate whatever desire we have for entertainment or distraction or whatever. The moment these guys are no longer entertaining us, we use we treat them as disposable diapers, like just their diapers, throw them away. And we just unleash all types of anger and and sometimes hate toward these people. 
Sewell Cravens was the example that hit home to me because I live right outside D.C. I live literally just a few miles away from FedEx Field. But it's not the only occurrence that has happened. Earlier this week, and again, this podcast is released on a Thursday, but at the time of this taping, there was a really great art, uh, article from Isaiah Thomas on the Players' Tribune, and he was he kind of just like opened up about his time in Boston and how he felt and how he felt hurt about being traded. I mean, it was clear he was building a connection to Boston. You know, and there were so many people after the trade, before the trade was solidified, you had the the one image, and I don't like to, to make one person kind of the face of an entire fandom, right, an entire team's fans. But there was a person who burned Isaiah Thomas's jersey, which is crazy. But then you saw, like, once the trade was official, it was like, okay, yeah, we need to get Isaiah out of here anyway. You know, he's too small. He's injury prone. He's not worth all this money. And you just see all, like, this guy's moving his family. This guy, it's fair to bring up, in case you aren't fully aware of Isaiah Thomas in Boston. This past year, during the playoffs, his sister tragically died. Tragically. And he played in a playoff game the next day. You know what I mean? He lost a tooth during a game. Played, continued to play for the team. He hurt his hip. The whole nine, these guys are are sacrificing a lot. And yes, they get paid handsomely. Yes. But that doesn't make them less of a human. That doesn't make them less of a person. What is it about athletes? And I think I have an idea, right? Obviously, personally, I think it's jealousy, envy, right? We see these guys that make all this money. You know, they're celebrities. They're celebrities. And again, think of it like this. The only reason these guys are celebrities, the only reason they make this much money is because supply and demand, right? Basic foundation of an of a capitalist society. We supply we have the demand. We demand this, right? And they're supplying their athleticism, right? And their skills to satisfy our demand. They would not be making this money if we did not crave it so much. So it's that's when you look at it from that perspective, it all sounds silly. We're so dismissive of people, right? To stick to sports. If you're an athlete, don't talk about anything but sports because you're just here for my, you're only here for my entertainment. And the only way you entertain me, despite the fact that I follow you on all your social media platforms and whenever you sell me something, I buy it. The only way you entertain me is when you're playing your sport. I mean, think about how dismissive that sounds, how idiotic that sounds. And, the, and there's such jealousy and envy because of their celebrity and their, the, the amount of money they make. That we then have this 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 nasty, you know, way of of dealing with athletes and thinking of we don't we think of them as less than humans. Like because you make so much money, money that you only make because we devote just a crazy amount of time and energy on you and your sports. You know, that's just a little caveat I want to throw out there. We're just so jealous of your celebrity. That we only want you, we only want to think of you. We only want to see you. We only want to hear of you when you are entertaining us. And when, you, when you're not, out of sight, out of mind. Don't want to hear it. 
And it came up again with the NFL postponing the Dolphins-Buccaneers game this Sunday. And I'm going to talk about this, uh, or at least part of this, in, in the last quarter. And there were so many people, because naturally, people heard that they were postponing the Dolphins-Buccaneers game and moving it to week 11 when both these teams just coincidentally have a bye. And someone came up and was like, yo, they're going to be playing at least 16 straight games on one of this on one of the most violent games that we have while the league continues to talk about player safety. Right? That doesn't add up. It doesn't add up at all, right? You can't talk about player safety and then have these guys play 16 consecutive weeks without a break. And then the, there are these guys would come up and say, oh, my God, it's a, it's a hurricane coming. Get your proper perspective. Who cares about, you know, these guys having to play 16 straight weeks? There's a hurricane coming. And I was like, yeah, there is a hurricane coming. And it's coming to a place where these athletes live. <laughs> Just because you have money does not mean that you don't care about your family, your community, your surroundings. Like everything that's happening, all the things that potentially could, awful, awful things that could potentially happen in Florida to people who are not athletes, right? The things that we all have to worry about, like we see the after effects in Houston, right? The flooding, the damages, the, the property damage, all types of things, medical, I mean, all, all the issues, right? All the concerns that we all have as Irma approaches. It's not like these football players don't have the same concerns. You know what I mean? So we know playing 16 straight weeks is not safe. You know what I mean? When you talk about player safety, they clearly aren't thinking about it when you're making the team play 16 straight games. And then you're not thinking of them as humans. Like, yo, they're not going to have that week off to help their family. Like, okay, look, our house is going to be, I mean, you know, Let's hope not, but there's a strong likelihood that there is going to be significant damage to property, to families, to like personal things that are going on that all Americans are having to deal with. All, not just Americans, humans have to deal with. There are natural disasters everywhere. But because they make so much money, we act as if they don't have these, these tough choices or these tough circumstances that they too have to deal with. And that's in addition to playing a game that we... that. The more scientists look at it, they compare it to getting in car wrecks. This game, right? The physical punishment that this game, you know, doles out are comparable to car crashes. We know this via science. So not only are they going to have to deal with their physical bodies just breaking down for playing 16 straight games, they then have to play these 16 straight games while their personal lives are up in the air because their homes have been wrecked by a hurricane. And it's clear all the NFL had to do, just move the game to Philadelphia, move the game to Georgia, North Carolina, somewhere. And the fact that fans have this, just, I don't know, an irrational, nasty reaction to the idea of just moving the game. The, 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 the idea that fans would have this nasty reaction to Sua Cravens wanting to retire. 
the idea that fans would have this nasty reaction to Isaiah Thomas being traded, not leaving in free agency, just being traded. All of this happening in the span of a week. It just has me wondering, like, why do we hate these athletes so much, especially provided the context of we devote so much time in following these athletes? It just makes no sense. It, the, the sporting culture, the sports culture in this country is toxic. It's so bad. This is something that we, we, we have for entertainment. Right? You hear it all the time. This is a way for me to escape. Well, how can you escape if you're following all these athletes on social media? And you've got five fantasy leagues. And you spend an entire Saturday watching college sports. And you spend an entire Sunday watching the NFL. And then you spend the whole week in between doing everything else. It's like, we got to really reassess everything here, man. Because how we internalize it and how we react to just basic acts of kindness, decency. We were playing the game all wrong, and it has shown itself so much so this past week. All right, guys, that was quarter number three. We got one quarter left. I already gave you a bit of a hint on where I'm going to be going with it. But before we start the fourth quarter, make sure you follow me on Twitter. The show is at quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. And make sure you interact with me as well via email. You can email me your thoughts, your complaints, your ideas, whatever. Email the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. All right, guys, three quarters down, one left to go. Let's finish up strong with our fourth topic this week. Tonight is the night. As you guys know, if you listen to the show regularly, you know, each Thursday, you know, I release a new podcast unless I'm on vacation like I was last week. But each Thursday, a new podcast comes out. And it just so happens that tonight, if you're listening to uh, the pod as it first hits the, uh, you know, the airwaves, if you will. Tonight is the opening night of the NFL season. And, you know, it's been it's been a. Tumultuous, rocky, uh, difficult offseason, however you want to place it, for the NFL. And I'm sure, you know, Roger Goodell and the powers that be are just happy that the season is finally upon us and we can kind of just forget all the other things that surround the league and the game and just focus on, you know, the 60 minutes of football um, that each team gives us. But I don't know about you guys, and I've, I've, I've alluded to this earlier in this show and in several other episodes in the past. Man, I'm not really feeling it like I used to. You know, opening night used to be like a, a thing. You know what I'm saying? It was like a, a big time extravaganza, if you will. I was ready. You know what I'm saying? Like I was counting down the hours, fantasy football teams and just just so ready for the start of the NFL season. And little by little, I just, and I don't know, like I, I was talking, if you guys listened to, you know, two weeks ago, I was talking to Michael Jenkins, my guy. And, you know, I was telling him, like, I'm falling, I, I can feel it. 
I can find myself falling out of love with professional football little by little. And I didn't know. I was like, man, maybe this is just me. Because I've been feeling this way for like the last three years, you know. But the crazy thing is, the more and more people I talk to about this, and I'm talking to like sports fans, not just, you know, casual fans or people who, you know, pay attention to football just because it's so popular, but like diehard sports fans. And I get the, the feeling that I'm not alone. And when you see the numbers that college football put up last weekend, and it's like they were breaking records. I mean, college football has always been the number two sport in this country. But there's been an increase, right? At least from a one-week sample size. And we'll see what happens moving forward. But there was a bump. And I feel as if more people I talk to, more people I see here, there are there's like almost a transfer of energy from, from football to college football. Because look, no matter what anyone says, this country loves football. You know what I mean? Like, there is no denying it. Whether it's professional, college, uh, amateur, high school, whatever, peewee, the whole nine, right? This country loves football. But the NFL is faced with the problem because I think, I'm not going to say that the Golden Goose is aging, but the golden goose of the NFL, it's it's is at a is at a crossroads. I think that's fair to say. You know, um, you guys know for the, for years you've heard, oh well, football they just print money. They'll never it'll never collapse. Football will always be king. Yada yada yada. And I've always felt that that was silly. You know, like the idea that the number one sport will stay that way. I mean, we have history. You know what I mean? Like we have documented proof. Horse racing and boxing used to rule the day. You know, look at what where horse racing and boxing is now. Baseball. Baseball, the the nation's pastime, right? And now we have people for at least 10 years talking about the future of baseball and how it how young people feel about the game. Nothing ever stays on top. Nothing whether we're talking about a political ideology, whether we're talking about uh, a national powerhouse um, or, you know, scale it down to something completely trivial like sports, there's there'll never be one sport on top forever. And while it was hard for people to even come up with an idea of how football would fall, professional football, talking about the NFL specifically, you can see, right, the seeds being planted. If you take a step back, but I don't think it's, it's too late. You know what I'm saying? Cause everybody look, I'll, I'll say this. And I know all of you all listening to my voice are going to watch the game tonight. And that's cool. Make no mistake. I'm not trying to tell people not to watch football, but I'm just talking to y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like if you take the time out of your life to listen to me, to rock with me for an hour. You know, I, I'm just, I'm just rapping to you. You know what I'm saying? And this is how I feel. And maybe you agree, maybe you don't. But I don't think I'm reckless. You know what I'm saying? This isn't some hot take. Just look at where the state of football is at right now. Again, just the NFL. And you know, a lot of people, I swear, like the Kaepernick thing has so many legs. You know what I mean? This is going on for over a year. And I don't even want to talk about the Kaepernick thing when I'm talking about 
football, right? But just before I put it to the side, think about this. And I actually feel for the NFL in some aspects in this regard, right? All the other topics that I will talk about momentarily, there have been self-inflicting inflicted wounds for the by the NFL, right? There have been their own missteps, their own mistakes that have caused themselves to be put in this position. The Kaepernick thing, no one could have seen coming and no one could have done this differently. You know what I mean? It just kind of happened in the league. I'm talking about like the, the commissioner and the, the, the lead office. I, I Their hands are tied when it comes to this, right? But think about it like this. There are people, and I don't think it's going to be a large number of people, but I could be wrong. There are a there is a group of people, there are a group of people, excuse me, who have been so offended by Colin Kaepernick not getting a job, right, that they have expressed that they will boycott the NFL. Now, again, I don't think it's going to be like a, some huge number, but there, you can't say that there won't be anyone, right? But listen to how crazy this is. On one side, the people who are supporting Kaepernick have voiced out their opinions, their frustrations, that they will not watch the NFL because Cap doesn't have a job. On the completely other end of the spectrum, right? Because of Michael Bennett and uh, Marshawn Lynch and their continued protest, there are people who are saying that they won't watch the NFL because protests have continued. So you got two groups of people who don't see eye to eye, you would imagine, on anything. But they both, both ends of the spectrum are talking about boycotting football. That's that's something that the NFL has, they couldn't control. There's nothing that they could possibly do. So let's just put that, the whole uh, protest to the side. Because, you know, I don't want to talk about it. I know y'all don't want to hear about it. We've discussed this, you know, ad nauseum, right? However... That doesn't take into consideration the domestic violence issues that the NFL has. Think of it like this. No one has talked about Joe Mixon, right? This guy just got drafted. We saw the video of him attacking his, you know, a female friend of his, a woman friend of his. We all, you know, we saw or we heard of the video, right? We know that it, that it exists. But no one's talking about him. And the sad thing is, it's because it's coming far too commonplace. I have a, a friend of mine, my best friend. She's not a sports fan, but she, you know, she listens to the podcast, right? And when I was talking a few weeks back about the Ezekiel Elliott case, she was like, you could tell it just bothered her to the core because she was like, there's another guy who's been accused of hitting a woman? And when, when you hear just how frequently this happens and that these guys get chance after chance after chance, like, that takes its toll on people, whether you're a diehard fan or not. You know what I'm saying? So we don't know Zeke's specific case, right? We don't know his guilt or innocence. But he's just the latest guy. And this is an issue that happens every year, right? And the NFL, despite the fact that they have fumbled every major instance of trying to discipline or investigate any act of domestic violence. And we may be seeing another, right, fumbled, a bungled investigation currently with the Zeke case. 
for whatever reason, the NFL still wants to, to put themselves in this position to hand down punishment. And now you've heard it over and over again, right? Oh, well, the NFLPA, this is what they've collectively bargained. It's in the CBA. If they didn't want to give Goodell the power, they should have negotiated it. Well, I would suggest, or my, my personal stance on this is just because you have the power doesn't mean you have to always use it, right? Just because you have the power doesn't mean you have to always use it. The NFL should take inventory on where they're at and to say, look, this, like investigating and trying to, to hand out punishment on matters that, that are sometimes parallel to our legal system, domestic violence in particular, why are they in the business of trying to, you know, investigate? They, they are not capable. They do not possess. There is, there is nothing that the NFL has shown us as an entity that suggests that they are competent enough and capable enough to have a reason and credible investigation and hand out punishment in a responsible way. They've had so many chances to get this right at each turn. They have gotten it wrong. Why would they continue to allow themselves to get like just to to be so erroneous on the largest scale? The smart thing to do is like, look, man, we're going to just hire an, an a true independent, right? Arbitrator or investigators or whatever you want to call it and handle that, right? We will dole out the, the, the initial punishment and then we'll send it to an appeals court that has no ties to us at all. And then they can handle it, right? Because the fact is the NFL is a sports league. They have no stance and they have they are completely in over their heads thinking that they can rule and then they can investigate and they can have any type of credible uh ruling on devying out punishment they don't know they're not they're not built for that but yet here they are because they have negotiated because they do have the power sometimes having the power being like just because you have the power being smart enough to know when and when not to use that power Right. That's the sign of a, of a of strength for real true leadership. But that's just one thing that doesn't even take into consideration CTE. And here we are, right? Days away from Irma touching down at the time of this recording, I, you know, Thursday. Lord only knows where what this storm will be. But at the time of this recording, you know, Irma is almost hitting the Caribbean, right? And uh, prayers out to them, for real, because this thing looks crazy. So, you know, the reports are that the NFL, that they're going to, well, we know that the NFL has suspended the Dolphins-Tampa um, Bay Buccaneers game for this upcoming Sunday. But the reports are that they're going to, because Tampa Bay and Miami, they both have a bye week at the same week, week 11. So, the reports are that they're just going to have Tampa and Miami have a bye week on the opening week and then play 16 consecutive games and make up this week's 
postponement on their bye week. Think about how crazy that sounds. Just alone, in a vacuum, right? Professional football players, these guys, physical peaks, 270-pound guys running around, smashing their heads and helmets and tackling guys for an hour of playing time, right? So in a vacuum, that sounds crazy. But now think about it with the context of player safety, which we've been hearing over and over and over again for the last God knows how many years, right? The NFL and how much they care about player safety and how they've taken the necessary steps to make sure that the game is safer for the players, and yada, yada, yada. How on earth do they feel that it is safe for two teams to play 16 consecutive weeks of football? Right? When they're in the middle of this huge epidemic and confusion and hysteria about how dangerous the sport is to the head. Right? CTE is real. And I feel like part of the reason why so many people are being turned off by football is because of not we all know football is dangerous, but the fact that they were lying about it for so many years, right? They they knew it was more dangerous than they were letting on. I'm grow I grew up watching football and I was a Bills fan growing up. Jim Kelly would get his head wrung, and they would just go, and, oh, it's just a concussion. And that type of mentality was not just in the pros, but in college and high school and peewee. I can't tell you the number of times. I didn't even play football growing up, but I remember my friends who did, youngsters, like 11, 12, to my suck that up, suck that stuff up, man. That's what Coach said. We got a generation of people growing up and, that, and not even knowing how dangerous football was to them right and now you got the league who talks about player safety about to put two teams two teams at risk of playing 16 consecutive weeks of football player safety be damned and that's the thing man like the nfl they're the biggest drug dealers in the world they've got a product and they know that we are addicted to it and they just don't care. They treat us like the view, the football viewing public. The NFL treats us like they don't give a you-know-what about us. And just that, that rubs me the wrong way, man. You know what I mean? The deceit is one thing, right? The dishonesty is another. But trying to play me like, look, man, I don't care about what you think. Take this. They don't Think about, like, the product of the, the – if you are – just completely lacking of any type of sympathy for your your fellow man, right? And just the physical toll that 16 straight weeks of NFL football will take on these two teams. If that doesn't move you, just think about the on-field product between these two teams, right? One AFC team, one NFC team. You, We all know that they're the Buccaneers and the Dolphins. I'd love for someone to just monitor the play, right? of these two teams and just see when the drop-off happens because we all know it's going to come. You're not going to play 16 weeks without a break and play at a high level the whole time. Is there? And, and if you're a Tampa fan, there's legit optimism for you to maybe go into the playoffs and maybe make a run. That's not going to happen now. Think about the last four weeks of this season, how completely spent they, were, they will be. Lord only knows what type of injuries they may succumb to, right? Because they're not going to get any chance of healing, any test chance of, to take a break. They're, they'll still have a Thursday night game. We know that. 
but the NFL wants to talk about player safety? Come on, man. We're not stupid. Why they try to play us like we're stupid? And I think all of these things that are happening at the same time, CTE, right? Domestic violence, Roger Goodell, just the completely awful way that they handle the PR. And then on top of that, if you want to bring back the, the, the protest, all of these things are happening at once. And it's just turning people off. Maybe it hasn't hit you yet, but I can feel it. I can feel it hitting me. And it's not new. I've been like this for the last three years. You know what I'm saying? The sport of football is, I'll always love it. And I'm, I've never been more excited for college football than I am this year. Honest truth. And I think that is in part because of just how incompetent the NFL has consistently shown itself to be. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you disagree. If you do, make sure you tweet at me. Tweet at the show at quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. That's via Twitter. Or you can email me your complaints, your disagreements, or maybe you back me. Maybe you feel what I'm saying and you want to agree. Give me your thoughts. Share your thoughts with me. You email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, it's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Also, we're on iTunes, so make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes. All you got to do is search the quarterly report. See the icon with my face on the coin. Click it, subscribe it, and rate and review while you're at it. Before I go, I want to give a big shout out. Again, we talked about Hurricane Irma. Two of my closest homeboys live in Florida uh, and West Palm and Jacksonville. My guys, Keith and B-Jack. So shout out to y'all. Y'all already know what time it is, but you know, y'all boys be safe down there. And if you're listening to the show in Florida or you got family in Florida, you know, prayers up. We hope y'all hold it down, man. It's really scary down there, but make sure y'all be safe. And that's this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to me after my week vacation. But I'm back better than ever next week with my guy Travis Thomas as we'll preview. I'm super excited about this. The huge fight between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. We'll preview that. I got Travis Thomas next week right here on the Quarterly Report.